Hello, beautiful alchemist. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda. And today we have an amazing guest. We're going to talk all about Reiki. Uh, actually, the conversation expands into some aspects of Reiki that aren't commonly discussed. So I'm very excited for you to hear this episode. Our guest today's name is Marie Morohoshi. And Marie and I met in one of Franz's Schimpenden classes. Um, I think it was last year. Yeah, well, it had to have been last year. But um, Marie is phenomenal. She's sharing beautiful work. She even does Reiki training in Mount Shasta in California. And it's really interesting to hear how she conducts that, how she prepares students, um, the purification practice that she takes them through. But you'll also hear about her pilgrimage to Mount Karama. You'll hear how um, she really makes the connection between for all of us to consider the way that meditation and Shintoism and being one with all there is, how it's expressed through Reiki so beautifully. So really looking forward to you hearing this episode. And don't forget, if you want to have a conversation with me and some other listeners after the shows, you can join me on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, which is 7 p.m. Eastern, for the Reiki roundtables. It is live and you can access the Zoom link for that on the app. So be sure to go to the app store. If you have an iPhone or if you have an Android, go to the Google Play and download the Energetic Alchemist app. There's lots of free content there. You also have a membership option to access more tools to support your energetic alchemy. So I look forward to chatting with you live. Um, hope you enjoy this episode and I will see you on the other side. Hello everyone, welcome to Reiki Radio. This is gonna be a fun episode, just so you know. We are here with a beautiful Marie Morohoshi. Did I say that correctly? Morohoshi. Yes, Morohoshi. Just roll the R a little bit. Morohoshi. Yeah, there you go. Bing, bing. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am so thankful that we get to sit down and have this conversation. Just so everyone knows, we actually met in one of Franz's classes in Los Angeles, and you are just an amazing spirit. And so I want to thank you first for taking the time to come be on the podcast today. Oh, thank you, Yolanda, for even reaching out. Seriously. Yeah, yeah this is going to be fun. And I've been kind of following you since we met. Too, so I was like, oh, my God, this is gonna be fun because Yolanda asked some really good questions. <laughs> well, honey, no. I have a ton for you. <laughs> oh, okay. Go easy, honey. Go easy. <laughs> no way, Marie. No way. Because your story, <laughs> your background, everything, there's just so much to dig into. Um, even just reading your bio, I was like, where do I even start with her? But where I want to start, interestingly enough, is you are the founder of Star Nation Reiki. And I know you have a very interesting meaning behind the name of your business. So could you, first of all, just tell us how you came to Star Nation Reiki? Yes. How did I come to it? Um, so my last name is Morohoshi. And um, so that basically, Hoshi means star. And the part of Moro means basically the whole constellation or group of and because I'd been um, part of a indigenous Lakota two, you know, two spirit Sundance community, um, I would refer to it as Star Nation. So when I went to my first Sundance ceremony in um, South Dakota, Pine Ridge, there was like a group of um, Japanese Sundancers that, that had come from Japan and they're, and they're part of the annual Sundance ceremony there. And they, they were just kind of curious about me and they're like, who are you? What are you doing here? And, you know, they asked me my name and I told them my name and they're like, oh, Star Nation. You're from the Star Nation. I'm like, yeah. Hi. <laughs> and, and then so ever since then, and then, then also being part of my, you know, Sundance community, um, Star Nation just always stuck. Yeah. So, of course, with my practice, then came Star Nation Reiki, and that's how the name was birthed. It was kind of a no brainer. Well, that's like, pretty amazing. But now I'm so curious. I What is a Sundance ceremony? Uh, so um, I'm a guest. I'm not Lakota, right? Uh -huh. So um, 
it was probably about 15 years ago, I was invited to my first Sundance ceremony. And it was a two-spirit Lakota Sundance ceremony. And um, I got initiated basically okay. my first year. And I'm not, you know, I don't know if it's an Aquarian thing, but I, I don't really like commitment, you know, <laughs> kind of like play by ear and see how things go. And so part of the ceremony is that at the end of each ceremony, you make a commitment. And I never would make a commitment, but guess what? Every year I came back. Wow. And um, and I, I was always, always drawn to the fire. So, so I ended up um, tending the sacred fire um, every year. And then at some point, um, again, as a guest, I was um, plucked to, to be the, the Sundance uh, fire chief, which is not, you know, not an easy task. And I had a lot of um, reservations around that. So, I mean, this could lead into the hero's journey where I, I do the resistance part because I have a lot of stories around, oh, Marie, we're going to ask you to do this, do this. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. No, no. And, you know, I'm digging my heels, not wanting to do it. But um, this ceremony pretty much saved my life. Um, wow. Yeah, it's such a deep reverence. It has full, it's just all reverence, reverence for nature. You know, there's a saying that I think a lot of people know since Danny Rock, there's been a lot of, um, you know, um, awareness and consciousness raising around indigenous ways, life ways. And the saying is mitakuye oyasin, which essentially means all my relations. So in that ceremony, we learn how everything is so connected. You know, whether it's the ancestor rocks that we put in the fire to the water that we pour on it and from the steam that comes from it and the prayers that we sing that carries the prayers up to creator. I mean, it's just, it's just, a, I mean, I'm getting chills down my legs just thinking about it because it's such a powerful um, experience. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to it because it's deeply embedded in prayer and ceremony and the healing of the collective and the people and the planet. It's interesting hearing you say that right away, um, hearing about the connection with the the rocks and the steam and the steam going up to spirit. It reminds me a lot of the uh, Reiki kanji with the at the bottom with the rice and the steam and the. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yes. so, I mean, that's fascinating that that's even, you know, I, it, I think a lot of times, you know, uh, some of us were very fortunate to be brought into you know, different experiences and even exposure to different traditions that perhaps we wouldn't typically have um, connection with. So, you know, that's so beautiful. And I know that this also kind of incorporates in some of your Reiki that you do in Mount Shasta, which we'll get to. I don't want to skip ahead, but yes, you trained people in Mount Shasta. But I wanted to um, back up a little bit and share a little bit about just your background. So where you're from, and even in your uh, bio, I didn't know Gardenia was one of the second largest Japanese American oh, yeah. communities. Yeah. yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about your background and what even, well, just your background first. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> growing up, in, I was born and raised in Torrance and Gardena, two cities that border each other. And it's a suburb in LA, maybe like 20 minutes south of uh, LAX, but um, at one point, and I believe during my time when I was growing up there, it was like the heyday of Japanese American culture. You know, a lot of the, um, I mean, my mom is from Japan. My dad was born here, but raised in Japan. We we only spoke Japanese at the house. You know, um, my mom's a, been a long time Japanese school teacher at the Gardena Buddhist Church. So I'm a, I was very, very entrenched in the world of um, a life of a second generation, you know, Japanese American. So so there's also like three generations of Japanese Americans. So there's what you call the Shin Issei, which is like the newcomer, they just arrived, right? And then there's the Nisei, which is the children of those folks. And then there's like third, fourth generation. And so I was in that mix where Torrance was the public school and I uh, there was a lot of like third, fourth generation Japanese Americans there. But then my mom had me on this program where every day after school, you know, I would go to Japanese school and hang out with more like immigrant children like myself, immigrant, well, a child of an immigrant, right? Right. So it's a very different sensibility. So um, 
with that came um my mom's kind of a cultural fascist you know she'd be like go go look in the mirror you know who are look 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 at look at look in the mirror and see who you are you know she would have me on all these curriculums and one of them was tea ceremony which is chado which is the way of tea uh which is very much rooted in zen buddhism as well as um ikebana or kado the way of um flowers another zen rooted practice so you know while my friends were going off to like girl scouts or you know having a free weekend i was like every saturday you know on a tatami mat bowing doing my chants and mantras and you know sitting in seiza or sitting in you know um deep meditation position as a young child from you know the age of six or so and just being really yeah on this path of like practice 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 and it's a you know chado the tea ceremony is very very um it's super rigorous and it's very precise and there's no room for deviation and and what that taught me was like after so much practice the mind goes empty like in zen they say you know cut you cut it off at the head right so at some point you're just in the flow and it's absolutely precise it's because you've done it so many times and there's no thinking involved. There's no thinking because the thinking actually gets in the way, you know? So um, being in this flow of no thoughts, no mind, and just being, um, yeah, taught me a lot. And and even the structure, the structure of the placement of what you call dogu, that's the equipment, the, the tea kettle, you know, the tea uh, container itself, the bamboo uh, holder, all the things, the whisk, the placement of where things go is not by accident. It's very intentional. It's all in the flow. And I find that all those things have totally influenced the way I do my daily practice. Right. You know? Yeah. I actually wanted to ask you about that because um, I had an opportunity to uh, interview uh, Inamoto Sensei who teaches Reiki in Japan and he is a Buddhist monk yeah and he actually spoke a bit about that in the interview about these different ceremonies uh-huh. and it made me so curious because I thought like wow the mindfulness that has to come in you know things that we tend to do just mindlessly you know like even making my cup of coffee in the morning you know and like, uh, half asleep not even thinking about it but considering how the impact of ritual and absolutely paying attention how that influences our overall state of mind so yeah it's really interesting to hear you uh share that because i imagine you must have seen so many correlations between what you learned growing up and then of course what we learn in reiki so i wanted to ask you about that as well because of course here in um, a more westernized way of learning Reiki, a lot of the cultural um, resonance of it may be lost on us or not necessarily taught or, you know, and perhaps like if we're lucky, if we practice enough, we'll fall into some understanding of those things anyway. But how was that for you? Was Reiki something that just came out of the blue? Was it something that you sought out? How did you... Girl, okay, another story. But before I get into that story, let me just make that connection between um, rigorous practice, precision, no thinking, and um, just setting up the container. Right. And taking that practice into Reiki, like you said, creates a phenomenal cumulative effect. Because once you put everything in place, you know, you just drop everything. Then you just go right into the session. So the way I set up the Reiki sessions is like, I have an altar. I feel like everybody has their own ceremony, you know? And and because we're, we live in such a capitalistic think, think, think kind of mode, it really, it's really hard for clients to just drop into a no thinking place to receive the healing. So part of what I do is offer ritual. I offer ritual in the way that I set up a tea ceremony, for example. The altar is set up exactly the way it needs to be so that I can flow in a seamless way so that the client doesn't even hear me make a move. Like everything is in its place, you know, for a reason so that there is flow. And so that cumulative effect, your client's not going to know where the hell you are in the room. 
you know, (laughs) you know, and, and, um, and I also bring those practices to my Sundance ceremony and how I set up the fire, right? Everything I go, I show up days in advance to set everything up so that there is flow. Yeah. And then there's also, um, yeah, yeah. I could just get into the details as a Japanese person, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, believe me, I'm going to ask more questions that dig even more because I I do have some questions even about, um, the incorporation of like Shintoism. And again, what it is that you understand that you may bring to your classes, but I do want to know like how Reiki came on your radar in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I had, I had been part of a, um, a meditation community, like an urban monastery. I don't know if you had a chance to look at that, but um, at the time, um, my partner, Angel Kyoto Williams and I, we set up what we call the New Dharma Meditation Center in Oakland. And um, I had just, I was probably there for about a good seven years and I was coming out of it and I was actually looking for a Japanese healing modality to practice. And I was looking for Reiki, but I couldn't really find a, a teacher. So I ended up going to the acupressure institute and I learned acupressure and then I just then Reiki just kind of fell off my radar for a few years after that and then um I ended up going to Geneva as I do regularly because my good friend is there and my godchildren are there so my friend Karen picks me up at the airport right one one year over like a decade ago and she like She's like, girl, I just went to this like amazing Daiki retreat. It is so you and you got to go. I'm going to sign you up and you're going to this thing because Jackie's offering it next week. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And then that's kind of how it started. I went and um, showed up for class. It was a great little intimate class of five people. And um, Jacqueline Tail is someone who's, um, I think she's part Chinese, part uh, Malay and Singaporean and Mongolian. And she has a very fierce like shaman background. Yeah, right. So I mean, I could I felt her vibe. And I was like, Whoa, this is a fierce sister, you know. So anyway, so class starts, it's probably like day two or something. And we had just gotten attuned. And um, I'm out there in the cedar forest, where it's not like a forest, but it's it's a lot of greenery. So I'm just kind of communing with this one cedar tree. And I see, um, I see what I clearly recognize as a staff. It is clearly a staff. And, you know, I already have a fire staff. So I'm already like, okay, no, no, this is a lot of responsibility. And in my head, I'm going, I am not picking that up, you know, Mm -mm, no way. And then there's this other voice that's like, oh, yes, you are. You need to pick that up. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And the voice is like, oh, yes, you are picking that up right now. And I'm like, damn it. You know, (laughs) so I'm looking around, make sure nobody's around. I pick it up. I go upstairs. I hide it. And um, the next day. I go back to class and the teacher's like, oh, by the way, um, I kind of failed to announce this, but, you know, generally I always announce to the class who the elder is of the class. And, and there's, you know, there's actually older, older, technically older people in the class. And she was like, I've already spoken with them, but um, I do a shamanic journey and they tell me who the elder is and and it's you. And I'm like, oh, damn. (laughs) Okay. And then she says, so, um, if you don't mind, I'd like to announce that to the class. And I'm like, oh, no, really? Do you have to? And I was like, okay, fine. More surrendering, you know, more resistance, more surrendering. And then, yeah. and then and I'm about to go in the class. And she's like, oh, by the way, did you see that staff that was in the hallway yesterday? And I was like, uh, yeah. She goes, um, do you know where it is? I'm like, yeah, it's at the house. She's all like, oh, well, no, you need to bring that back. I'm like, why? She's like, oh, because you're going to lead the sacred walk. I'm like, oh, man. You know, so so that that whole experience of learning Reiki from Jackie was a very um, it felt like an initiation, you know, Um, it was a lot of resistance, but there was also a lot of flow and a lot of familiarness. And um, and um, she oh, and even during the uh, attunement, um, she was at the very end was sitting, kneeling in front of me. And at the end of it, she was like, "Okay, can and now can you bless me? I'm like what is she talking to me and I'm doing this thing again I'm looking around like she's talking to me you know <laughs> so um so I did a blessing but you know again it was like this initiation with the staff and the walk and the blessings it just was I was not expecting you know and um 
yeah, so it's been a lot of surrendering to to those kind of callings, and that was that's kind of how it all started. It's interesting hearing you say. I mean, even mentioning the resistance, um, because I, now I'm curious of hindsight. Do you know what you were resistant to? Was it just that it was all unfamiliar, or was there something in you? Was it what you were feeling that was causing you to like question or be skeptical or? Well, there's a, there was a there was a definitely a feeling of like, uh oh, like this is a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. And meaning responsibility, right? And um, and then a question of like, wow, can I step up to that? You know, the question of can I actually do that? I'm being called to do it, but can I actually deliver on it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And and just the idea of responsibility just seems like. I'm I'm kind of lazy actually, you know. I mean, my friends like you're not lazy. I was like, no, actually, I'm pretty lazy. <laughs> so the you know the resistance comes from like, oh wow, one more thing, right? One more thing to be leading or being a big part of. But um, Deiki is all about being a vessel, a clear vessel, and just following the calling, you know. And it's and I've come to learn it's it's not it's not about you. It really isn't. And I teach that to my students all the time because they they get so you know, caught up and insecure and in their head. And I say, excuse me, this is not about you. You know, this is, we're all here to be of service. Our job is to stay squeaky clean bamboo as possible and get cracking, you know, cause there's work to be done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but this, I have to bring up too, because I know that you do a lot of work within the queer community. And even we're going to talk a little bit later about um, the scholarship offering you have for the queer BIPOC youth, but, I just wonder as well, I mean, aside from how Reiki may have um, supported you in your own path, once you tapped into this, after you did um, the class in Switzerland and all of this, was there some part of you, speaking of responsibility, of considering like, wow, how this could be integrated into the meditation program that you had started? Was there something already in you looking at the ways that whatever it was that was activated in you, how it could support other people and how those lines were connecting for you. You know, I'm kind of one of those like in the moment kind of folks. I don't do like a lot of like ahead visioning, although sometimes I do. But um, at that time, I was thinking, oh, OK, they keep practice. But because I've always been an activist, there's yeah. no way I'm going to separate myself out from you know, a healing practice from my activism. Right. So, um, so I was actually just when I, um, just when I uh, started practicing and had come back from Switzerland, um, I, I was asked to actually um, volunteer for the Healing Clinic Collective, which I eventually became a, um, a core member of. But um, they would set up these big pop-up clinics, you know, and cater towards activists, people of color, uh, the undocumented, those that underserved, those youth who are at risk, folks who generally would not be signing up for this kind of stuff. Right. You know, so already bringing that that healing modality to to the people, not like I'm going to sit here and try to magnetize people. It's about mm-hmm. going directly to the people, to their neighborhoods, to where they live, where they right. work and and bringing it there. And even like with the Tubbs fire. um, uh, that was um, like in 2015. I mean, huge, huge fire. It was like the biggest fire at the time. And it was all undocumented people. Those people were definitely not going to be showing up at no Red Cross to get any services, you know. Right. Um, so we went there. And so I feel like um, and that has an interesting story, too, because I do incorporate other practices. And that morning um, I was picking up a friend who was an acupuncturist and then another friend who um, the founder of Ancestral Apothecary who was bringing tinctures. And I happened to be growing because of uh, my connection to the Sundance community. Um, I was already growing tobacco and all kinds of different medicine in my backyard. And I had medicine, plant medicine for um, limpias and something right before I got in my van, I was like, you know what, you might want to harvest some plantitas and go get that pedicone and rosemary and all the things. I just harvested a bunch of branches and just went with it. And um, I remember feeling very kind of timid, like, okay, um, 
I'm just going to set myself up here in a chair and just kind of stand here and wait, you know? And I was watching everybody do their stuff and I was just standing there. And one person showed up. Once it was on, it was on. And it, I, I remember looking up at one point and there's a long line of people, you know? Wow. And, and I was the last one to leave. Everybody had closed up shop. Sun was down and gone. And that's just testimony to like spirit just working through you. You know what I mean? Right. So to not work with, um, not to indulge the doubts, but really be in integrity and just ask for permission. Like, is this the right way to be showing up? And, and that's what I've learned from my Sundance community is all, it's all about deep reverence, respect, right relationship, reciprocity. So I do that with all the things, you know, I, I grow tobacco and I ask for permission, you know, when I walk on a path, you know, to connect with the ancestors of that place, or if I want to harvest cedar, do I ask permission? offer tobacco and you know and then move forward and it's so interesting Marie because what you're saying initially when you first started telling this part of the story it reminded me of just how connecting um a lot of the practices that we may put on under the umbrella of spirituality but how just connecting it all is and just the 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 humanness that emerges through all of it you know and um, going back to even how you mentioned in the beginning, uh, even with the Lakota, with the Sundance ceremony, that recognition of being one with all there is. And, you know, it's like this this work on all levels, no matter which um, cultural practices are being expressed, it goes beyond language. It goes beyond other modes of communication. It's just that spirit to spirit. And I don't know, something about what you said just reminded me of um, how beautiful the language of healing is and the language of community and the language of just recognizing the connection that we have that goes beyond all of the other layers. That's amazing. Yeah, you just let spirit move through you, you know. We're mm -hmm. just, you know, little vessels here for a short time trying to do the best we can. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I know, and I do want to go, um, like I said, deeper into some of the uh, ways that you teach now and the training that you do on Mount Shasta. But I wanted to ask, so how then this progressed? So you went from the practices that you've already been familiar with, even what you've grown up in. And then what made you to decide to go deeper into your Reiki training to do Shimpenden? Well, you know, um, you mean to do to, the learning part or the teaching part? Okay. The learning, I'm always learning. Yeah, both, both. <laughs> I'm constantly learning. I mean, I'm more a student than anything. I mean, I'm yeah, yeah I'm a teacher, but to be honest, um, yeah, I just feel like the field of learning is so it's endless. You know, yes. it's endless. But the teaching part, interestingly enough, I I didn't seek out to teach either. Like, I didn't seek out to go learn Reiki in Geneva either. You know, I didn't seek out to get a staff here or there, none of that stuff. But same thing with teaching. I was, um, somebody had asked me, I was at the uh, Healing Clinic Collective working with people. And then, you know, there would be other practitioners there, other Reiki practitioners and, and um, other practitioners started coming coming up to me afterwards and would ask me, um, you know, I really like working with you in your orbit, basically. And right. um, um, do you teach? And I'm like, no. And, but if you want to come over, I could teach you a couple of tricks. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I started teaching people kind of like one-on-one -on -one in, in San Francisco here on unceded Yolamu Ohlone lands. And, um, and I call this place the little burnout bubble. It's just, I feel like I'm in my little bubble here up on the hill. And so I would teach people one-on-one -on -one here and then it started going out into groups. And then, um, and then um, a, a dear friend of mine, who became a good friend of mine, Belinda Liu, who runs the Histia Retreat Center, uh, heard about me and um, booked a, a session with me and was like, girl, you got to come to my retreat center and do a training there. Yeah, and that's kind of how that all started. But again, it, everything was done not because I initiated it, but because I just happened to be somewhere at the right time at the right place and people would just ask me. Yeah. That's Isn't like it interesting how that happens? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you asked yeah. me like five years ago, no, not even five, 10 years ago, if I would be teaching this kind of stuff, I, I'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and then no here you are, but here you yeah. are. So I wanted to ask you about as well, because you also had an opportunity to take a pilgrimage to Mount Karama 
And if you could talk a little bit about that experience and how it was for you. Yeah. Um, so Kuramayama, um, I was there with my father. Uh, and at the time he was about to turn a hundred years old. And I had like, a, yeah, yeah, I had a couple of days to myself. Where I get to sneak out and like do my own thing. So I was like, I'm going to go do this pilgrimage. And my friend happened to be doing a retreat nearby, was visiting. And so we went together and it was on. I was just, I, I actually did like two, three rounds of the whole thing. Like, okay. yeah, over two, three days. And um yeah, and th there's something about my, my personal experience of being on a mountain and hiking. And I was like, what was it that Usui Sensei was feeling and experiencing you know, during his time on that mountain that led to this practice? And I felt like I kind of had almost like a flashback, like, you know, this is not my first rodeo. I also feel in Mount Shasta when I'm hiking. There's something about the energy of being in mountains and cedar forests, waterfalls that feels super familiar that I could feel like I my adrenaline starts to like, I get really amped up and I start like hiking faster. Like, and I don't know what it is. I'm not like an athletic person, but you know, but I'll go to Standing Rock and be in the blizzard for like, you know, two, two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and train some fire keepers over there at the two-spirit camp. I mean, I love being in nature. Yeah. And there's something about um, an ascetic practice, the harshness of it, that makes me uh, get in touch with who I am. So being on that pilgrimage was very much like that, you know, and and I had to get my butt back to the ryokan that, at the bottom of the hill because we were on a schedule. And so I was sweating, sweating, sweating. Like it was a sweat lodge, but I was hiking <laughs> You know, and just and just and just finding these really amazing quiet spaces where he sat and just getting into deep meditation. I mean, that's really at the end of the day, it's meditation. Yeah. I mean, that is the practice. That is the practice. You know, whether it's practicing Nike, that is a meditation. Yeah. With my clients, that's a meditation. Getting to, I mean, refining my presence, that's all through meditation, you know. It's all, yeah. that's, yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like you gave us a hint of that even when you were talking about the uh, tea and the, the tea ceremony and the way of flowers of, you know, going into such a deep practice that the mind just clears and thought goes out. And I'm glad that you bring this up because people listening, a lot of people that listen to the podcast are Reiki practitioners, some practicing for a while, some are very new to the practice. And I've noticed over the years, one of the challenges for people is getting out of their head and yep. trying to do Reiki or overthinking while they're in mm -hmm. the process. I mean, I had the same experience when I first started and it really was leaning way more into my meditation practice that helped me to understand the way of Reiki. So I wanted to know if you could share a little bit around that in a way that may support someone that is struggling absolutely um you know i tell some of my clients and my students um even if it's like for five minutes just get your sit on you know what i mean because it's the consistency right so even if you're fighting and resisting all the way to the cushion just get your butt on the cushion and and the mind will convince you not to get on the cushion so what i so for beginners this is what i say just don't even just focus on your feet like you're in bed right just focus on your feet, getting out of bed, walking over to the cushion. And you could be cussing yourself out. You could be like resisting all the way, but just focus on movement. You could be having all kinds of thoughts on the way, but just focus on moving your feet and getting your butt on the cushion and then just start. Because right. then once you're on the cushion, the sit is on. It's, yeah. the, it's the point between A and B where the where the struggle happens and where we go often go like nah not happening right now no not right. happening today not happening tomorrow i'll do it later right yeah 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 so if you if you indulge in just moving your feet and not so much your thoughts then you will get yourself you will get yourself there <laughs> i love that indulge in moving your feet not so much your thoughts yeah so that, that's a huge one 
So I want to make sure there's just so many things about your story that I want to make sure that we touch on, but to make sure this doesn't get, you know, left out at all. I would love to talk a little bit about your annual Reiki training in Mount Shasta, because you've mentioned the connection to nature and just how powerful it feels for you to be in the mountains. Um, Being in California, I've heard of Mount Shasta and I've, it's on my to-do list. Like one day I hope to get there, of course. Um, but could you tell everyone a little bit about Mount Shasta in of itself? And wow. then that, the preparation. In and of itself. Oh, yeah, I, I, from what I've heard, <laughs> I believe it's true. But yeah. then bringing in, um, sharing a little bit of how you bring in um, the understanding of Shinto and some of the Lakota uh, traditions and practices into the work. Yeah, um, yeah, I would love to. And it's so loaded and it's so rich and there's so much to it, you know. But um, so starting off with Shasta itself, um, you know, the first time I went up there and I camped up there in Panther Meadows, um, I remember we were there for like a week and it was time to come down the mountain and get back to, you know, get back home. And you know what? It took us like three, four times to, to like, try to leave until and then we finally left because you know I had guests coming to my house and I had to let them in so (laughs) but but there's there's a pool there there's a there's a there's something about there's like a vortex there that pulls you in and you feel like you're definitely on a different plane and and during my trips there I started seeing um and I also saw it saw it at Kuramayama and then eventually other places but you know there would be these light beings Mm -hmm. and and um, I also invoked those light beings during my sessions as well as, you know, deities and, yeah. and gu- guides and helpers who assist us during these sessions. Right. So but at first I didn't know what they were. And um, one of the one of the uh, dominant light beings was this violet light, which Shasta is known for. And I didn't know what it was. So I thought there was something wrong with my phone, you know, and <laughs> and and so I remember the first time capturing um this violet light it was like like it was like star trek and beam me up scotty you know that pillar where you go yes. up and it was the bandwidth was really wide and it was going zzz. i'm like no it's not happening this is kind of strange and my friend at the time we had iphone 4s okay so it's kind of back in 2013 all right kind of dating myself but it didn't show up in her phone and we were both shooting at the same time and i was like okay what's going on on like there's something going on where I keep capturing these light beings and there's I could see faces in them as well and so I had talked to a friend of mine uh, and showed her the photos um her name is Morningstar Golly and she's part of the Pitt River tribe over there and she's like oh yeah those lights those lights yeah they show up when you know when the medicine person is ready you know and I was like oh hmm and there was another like sinking feeling like oh no <laughs> it's like oh no Mm -mm." you know yeah 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 and 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 in Kuramayama they would have these like tengu spirits you know and and they're kind of like tricksters and those were showing up in my camera as well yeah so it's like I feel like you know if you're ready and you're open these these light beings show up and they're all over Shasta Mm -hmm. and just um I mean, it's hard to put in words what it said. I think, you know, I'm all about the Buddhist way, direct experience. Go, you just go there, okay? You go and have your experience. You tell me how it was for you. You right. know, I will tell you, um, for some folks who go, it's hard to leave because it's so powerful and it's so beautiful. And, you know, it's also the land of the Winnemem Wintu. And I want to definitely cannot talk about Shasta without talking about the Winnemem Wintu tribe. Um, they're the folks who uh, who were essentially originally along the McLeod River, what they call, what is now the McLeod River, but it's the Winnemem Way Wacket. It's the waterways. It's There's the lower falls, middle falls, and upper falls. And um, and then there's the Shasta Dam that they that, that was put up by the government, and they had flooded all their sacred sites. And they were supposed to give them other lands, but they never did. And that fight is still going on. And then the salmon has been blocked from returning to their original waterways. And so um, this campaign called Run for Salmon that I've been a part of um, has been going on for now, I think, six, seven years now. Yeah. And it's it's another um, example of sacred activism 
you know, where we're, we're trying to return to the sacred and the original indigenous life ways. And that by saving that, it saves everybody, everybody, you know, from, from the salmon to all the creatures in, that's along the waterways, all the lands and all the people, you know? And so um, I, I actually, um, because it's all about reciprocity, I'd ask the chief, Chief Kaling Sisk, if, if we could practice on her waterways and in return for reciprocity, granting us permission to practice Reiki there, um, a certain portion of the tuition goes to her tribe. And yeah. that is my 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 wish that everybody uh, practices in that way. That how how do we be in right relationship? You know, mm-hmm. okay, we're, I'm on Winnemum Wintu land. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna check in with the chief. Ask for permission. Offer her tobacco, tobacco that I grow myself for ceremony. Make that offering. Ask for the permission, and then you know, and that's how we come in. We may or may not get permission, but you know, that's the way we. I feel like we all need to do. It's all deep reference it's all about a practice of reference and you know the japanese are all about reverence you know how many times do they bow a day i mean i grew up bowing all the time it's about deep reference it's about relationship it's about connection and respect you know so it's oh my goodness marie we need like three hours together i mean because so much of what you're saying one i mean it's just my heart is like cracking open at just the the beauty of what you're sharing um but even this last bit of what you're saying of us being in right relationship and to practice this way and to have a reverence. I'm thankful that you're using these words even to relate them even back to not just our way of being, but understanding that this is a big um, aspect of Reiki. Because I think a lot of times people think of Reiki as this very, just like a technical system technique and not looking at, the expression of what it's pointing us to mm-hmm. and what it's reminding us of yeah. and the opportunity we have to recognize that relationship with self relationship to all relationship to nature relation to your brother relation 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 right yeah, and all my so relations. you're speaking yes all my relations and you're so you're really highlighting like the pinnacle of what this practice really is that is often unspoken I mean, you know, I mean, if you ask someone what Reiki is, that probably isn't going to be what they say. So it's it's just very exciting to hear you um, to share what you're sharing in the way that you are. Okay. Again, trying to make sure we get all this in your juicy story. Yeah, I feel like we're just getting started. Like, really, we need I to know. I know. What the heck? I mean, I don't know. You're going to have to call me back. You're going to have to do part two or something. I don't know. Seriously. No, we're going to have to do like part two, three, and four. So you have this um, beautiful opportunity to have the practice of Reiki and training in this sacred land and really being in right relationship with even um, the people that you know, their direct lineage with this land. And you also, again, bring in these elements of Shinto and what you've learned through the Lakota practices and traditions. So could you share first what Shinto is, a little bit about Shintoism, how that even, again, is like infused in Reiki, if people are unaware, and how all of this contributes to your students being able to learn in nature this way right right yeah so much to say about that and we only have so many minutes left but uh, don't it, look at the clock yeah don't, don't, don't look at that yeah so in short obviously so it's you know shinto is one of japan's indigenous you know spiritual practices and it definitely is hella tuned into nature like big time just the way the lakota you know, indigenous communities here on Turtle Island are hooked into nature and the nature is the kami, it is the source, it is creator. You know, so what I <clears throat> what I find helpful for my students for this training is to come in with some, some practice that's going to help them basically cleanse themselves and purify. Because, you know, here we are, li- you know, living in urban densities, you know, the debris, the energetic debris within us in our heads, in our bodies, is super thick. So I like to, I was like, well, why don't we, you know, why don't we do some purification practices? And it wasn't even like I was even thinking like, oh, let's do purification practices. It was just like, it was like a reflex. It was like, 
well, we got to just get you cleaned up. So, you know, I get people on the land, we do the tobacco offering, we do the smudging, and then, um, and then we do a fire ceremony. And in that fire ceremony, you know, I borrow the traditions of the Lakota way where we call in all the ancestors. And it doesn't matter which tradition you're from, you are calling in your ancestors. If that's not familiar to you, that's okay. Fake it till you make it. But we are putting this fire down. We're gonna honor all the, you know, four directions, including the benevolent ancestors of the land that we're on, making that tobacco offering, putting down that prayer, calling everybody in. So that's the Lakota part that that then also, um, um, reflects uh, or connects with the Shinto part, which is about honoring nature, because we're in nature, honoring nature. So in that fire ceremony, we're also honoring all the elements, right? Mm -hmm. The water, the creek is right there. The cedar trees are right there. We're bringing it, we're calling in the whole team, you know? And then we move into other uh, purification practices. Like the first two days, we engage in misogi, which is a water purification ceremony, and it can take many forms. You could do a cold plunge. So we do a cold plunge right there, and it's freezing. People are like, and we also take them to the waterfalls, and that would be the taki, taki is waterfall, gyo waterfall, you know, meditation practice. And um, most people left to their own devices, I'm sure, would not go under a waterfall and hang out there because it's glacial melt water. It's not comfortable. And it's not supposed to be comfortable. And we need that level of discomfort and um, and um, getting out of your mind and being totally in the experience to help cleanse that vessel. So we have these practices that are Shinto Shugendo based that helps you show up for the practice, mm-hmm. helps you show up to be that clear vessel. So you can get on that meditation cushion and you're a little bit more uh, clear you know, or you're on that Nike table and you're a little bit more available and not in your head. So I, I like to uh, use these practices as a way to do like an energetic, like debris, like a cleanup so that right. people could be squeaky clean and just really get out of their own way and be like, okay, that was like majorly intense. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're kind of like in shock afterwards, you know, but then they're exhilarated at the same time. Yeah. And then next thing you know, they're like, oh, when are we going to do it again? So I start off each day with with the with a purification practice so that we do become more available to receive deju even, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I love you're not even attuned them on a full moon. I I try to time it with cosmic events because we are in the mountains and we are under the star nations and we are harnessing all the elements that are available to us. So why not why not attune people to the new moon or the full moon or you know or the equinox? Because it's right. all there and it's all available. But it's beautiful even thinking of like that preparation. It, it kind of echoes back to what you were speaking about in terms of like ritual and uh, sacred ceremony. But also just that beauty of preparation instead of just being thrown into uh, even the space of Reju. Because if we can approach that with more of an open mind and out of that space, I can imagine that must be... Um, pretty intense in an amazing way for people but another thing you mentioned Marie is the calling in the four directions calling in our ancestors and like yes if you don't even know about it yet just just know it is so and you remind me of uh, recently I heard an interview where there was a, a man who he he was a priest or something but he did a lot of um of work in Africa and I can't remember which country but one of the things he found was fascinating was that because the people uh, from wherever he was working, they grew up knowing that they were surrounded by their ancestors and their guides and that they grew up knowing that they were supported in all of these ways. And he was saying how it really did something to them in a psychological way versus in the West where we don't know that we have that support or we may not have been taught at a young age that we're always surrounded by this higher guidance and mm-hmm. so that's a really cool thing um, to introduce people to if they are unaware because that is hugely I didn't know about my guides till I started this work and found out about them accidentally and it I mean mm-hmm. hugely impactful to realize you're not alone in this work Absolutely, absolutely. And then, you know, ancestors are always on standby. They're like, just right. you know, never give me, let me know. <laughs> that is so true. Okay, yeah. so people um, can come and you actually are doing the next 
training in Mount Shasta in June. And I mentioned a little earlier that you do have a scholarship for this event that will specifically support queer BIPOC students. So could you talk a little bit about this and how anyone listening could contribute? Yeah. um, So, I mean, at the moment it's sold out, but um, I'm looking to do another one later in the year. But uh, a good number of the students, because I do focus on the queer trans BIPOC community and just really uh, changing the landscape of wellness and trying to really get this practice into the hands of, you know, people like us and um, and just trying to create more of an equalizing field. I um, created this uh, fundraiser on GoFundMe and I'll send you the link later and maybe folks who feel called to help will, right. will um, you know, make a little donation. Yeah. But um, uh Oh, I kind of lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that? So the training, yes, is happening. It's predominantly queer, trans, and BIPOC folks that I, I work with. And, and this training that I'm doing in June is also, I'm hoping to repeat it in September or sometime in the fall. And um, if folks are interested, they should they could definitely check out my website. And I have the sort of breakdown of the curriculum. And if that resonates for you, you know, definitely give me, um, you know, give me a holler, send me an email, and I'll put you on the wait list. But um, it's a very special, yeah, it's a very special training. And it's not for everybody because it does have a lot of the Shugendo aspects of aesthetic training and uh, being out there in the elements. And um, it's not necessarily about being comfortable, but comfortable enough, you know? Yeah. 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 That's amazing. And of course, please send me the link because I will include it down in the show description because I'm sure a lot of people would absolutely love to contribute and it's just amazing the work that you're doing, Marie, and that it sounds like those waterfalls have broken down a lot of your resistance because <laughs> <laughs> whatever it was you were resisting, you were doing it anyway. <laughs> um, I I wanted to ask you one more thing before we go. Um, just curious from your lens, because again, you had this opportunity of being a Nisei. Is that mm-hmm. Yes. Um Second generation is that? Okay, Nisei. Okay. So second generation here, but also having your mother make sure that, you know, the traditions were very much instilled in you. You know, just that's phenomenal. Um, because a lot of people don't get that opportunity, right? But just like how we were mentioning in the beginning, that you also had this beautiful opportunity of being welcomed into the Lakota. Uh, tribe and being able to participate in their ceremonies. Just curious, your point of view, um, even being in a Reiki class together and seeing how now a lot of the traditions from your culture are being taught and expressed, maybe, you know, still don't fully understand, but still a lot of um, what is more traditional to you and your background and your lineage and seeing how it is being spread in such a way that so many people are um, being able to benefit from this. Do you have any feeling around that? Like, what is that like for you witnessing it, being a part of it even? Just curious. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a, it's a very gray zone, you know? I mm-hmm. mean, because Usui Sensei did say in the beginning, you know, this is for everybody and he yes. wants to spread it throughout the world. So I understand inevitably when it jumps cultures, it takes on the context of that culture and things get lost, things get added, things get changed. And in having that practice come here to the U.S., you know, it's definitely been super westernized that to the point where people were they didn't even know it was from Japan. Right. Right. And, And then there's that whole colonization process. I mean, we could talk about that's a whole other episode as well. I mean, when when Japan lost the war in World War Two, they just their whole identity just kind of went, you know, and started to get colonized and westernized to the point where, you know, they were like, ooh, you know, bakey, that's kind of, what's that? That's like ghosts and heebie-jeebies, and I don't know what that's about, you know, when that right. is just, you know, is is a spiritual practice. That's our indigenous practice, you know, and, and a lot of countries have gone through that, like, for example, even Mexico, like, the Spaniards came, and, you know, 
forced Christianity on them. And they put the Christian churches on top of the sacred sites. And, you know, like the documented workers, they went and um, they like the, the ones that I worked with at the Tubbs Fire, they didn't even know what limpias were. And they were kind of heebie-jeebie about it. But then once, right. you know, the limpia plant hit them, that DNA kicked in and they was like, oh, I'm home, right? right. So I th I feel like um, all, the all the different mutations and generations that Reiki has it's taken, I mean, ultimately, obviously, it's a healing practice. And my wish is that, um, that everybody learns the origin story. Everybody learns how to be connected to nature. Everybody learns what it is to be in deep reverence. You know, these are really basic, but we've kind of lost that along the ways when capitalism entered the picture, right? So I, you know, yeah, there's just so much to say. There's so much to say. There's so much to say about appropriation and what has happened with the practice. But I feel like, you know, there are also a lot of white allies who are doing the work, yeah. you know, and those are the folks that are going to teach other white folks how to, you know, and not give us, make us do all the emotional labor of explaining it all, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. 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 So, and I feel like there's enough of those folks around that are doing that good work. So really it's about um, walking with integrity walking with integrity and and stepping out of the way and not having it be an ego practice. And that's the, that's really the crux of it. Uh, you know, Japanese culture is, a, is very much about being humble. You know, it's all about being humble. And if you like, if you're all up in your ego, everyone's kind of like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. stare down, like, uh, you know, <laughs> so you do your best to stay small and don't stick out and, you know, don't all be all up in your me, 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 my, my, my ego. You know, so there's a lot of good practices that I think we need to re, you know, return to. And it's a return, return to the sacred, really. Yeah, well, that's the thing I think is so fascinating. I mean, across the board, um, uh, so many people now, um, especially the younger generation, there is this like resurgence of ancestral um, practices, reconnecting to lineage, um, yeah. re connecting to an understanding even like different indigenous practices like through all so many cultures and I recently um actually the podcast just just aired recently um I spoke with a woman who was talking about uh hoodoo traditions and how a lot was obviously um taken away uh during the slave trade and all of this but in terms of spirituality and indigenous um, practices and beliefs and all of this, but it's, it's amazing how it's all resurfacing now and how now because of technology and the way that we're in communication, we're all getting some insight into these practices, these teachings, but more phenomenally is that it all points back to the same thing. Yes. And so it's like we we really have such a precious opportunity in these times that we live in yes. to recognize this opportunity of returning to one and community and connection and all the things that you spoke about throughout this conversation. Oh, Marie. So you're coming back, right? Yeah. Just, just <laughs> was a good time for you, girl. I'm there. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for this conversation and sharing your story and what you have been learning along the way. I just want everyone to know that they can learn more about you and your work at Star Nation Reiki on Instagram, but also your website is starnationreiki.com. And we will have the links below for the uh, scholarship as well. Ooh. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to say before oh we go? Oh my God. Um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so much to say other than um yeah, be in the love. Yeah. Yeah. Be just in the love. Be in the love of it all, especially when it's the hardest. When it's the hardest, when it's the hardest. Oh. That should be on a t-shirt, Marie. <laughs> I expect oh, I do have a good mantra. <laughs> Oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> In these times when people are tripping and having all kinds of anxiety, it seems I have this mantra uh, of uh, don't trip, just trust. Ooh, don't trip, just trust. Yeah. I love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Now yeah. that you should put on a t-shirt. Yeah, because <laughs> that's, what, that's what made me think of that mantra because I was like, oh yeah, because my students would say, oh, well, that should be a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, there was quite a few different things that you said throughout the conversation that should be. And I'm sure that, um, you know, everyone listening will have a lot of inspiration and consideration for their own practices and just how we are being in this world. And I thank you very much for coming. For everyone else, go to StarNationReiki.com and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, everybody. And thank you, Yolanda. And we'll talk again soon. Yes. Oh, we have to. (laughs) We're going to carry on. We're going to carry on. (laughs) Okay. Beautiful alchemist. I want to thank Marie again of Star Nation Reiki. So don't forget, if you want to learn more about Marie and her beautiful work, her beautiful offerings, go to starnationreiki.com. Or you can also find her on Instagram at Star Nation Reiki. And if you would like to contribute to the scholarship fund for the Queer BIPOC students for her retreats in Mount Shasta, the link for that will be below as well. Um, yeah, the, the conversations, I swear, sometimes it just goes by so quick. And I wish we had more time to dig more deeply into the stories. But I would love to hear what's coming up for you. Is there anything you would like to discuss from this episode or any recent episodes of Reiki Radio? Is there anything you just want to ask, share, or chat about in relation to your practice? If you would like to, you can join me live for the Reiki Roundtable Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And again, you can get the link in the Energetic Alchemist app. So be sure to download the app. I thank you so much for being here And if you want your copy of the Energetic Alchemist Oracle, go to my website and get your copy of the deck now. So that's it for this week, loves. I will see you next time. Remember to always journey in love.